to the ninth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you find the book of Psalms in your Bible, flip ahead two chapters, or two books rather, and you'll find Ecclesiastes. I have a book that sits on my bookshelf at home that is entitled The Ultimate Question. It's actually a book that's for work. Um, it's asked some questions that I deal with in my line of work. But it's a useful title, The Ultimate Question. And if we were to take a poll of all the world about what is the number one question that we try to answer in life, I think we'd probably get to settle on a handful of things. But I suppose one of them would be, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? That's a question worthy of us asking. It's worthy of our consideration. After all, we know that it is appointed unto all of us that we will die. There's not been one of us yet that's escaped from this life without dying. Scripture says plainly that it is appointed unto man once to die. Death entered as a result of sin, the Bible says, that by as one man's disobedience, sin entered the world. And death by sin. Sin has an effect on all of us. And it is bringing all of us closer and closer to death. That's why as we grow older, our hair loses its pigment and it turns gray and it turns white. Old people don't, don't get discouraged. The Bible calls that a crown of honor. That a hoary head is a crown of honor. But it's why our eyesight weakens as we get older. It's why our ears get a little harder of hearing. It's why we get wrinkles when there used to be no wrinkles. This body is gradually reaching a point of death. From the day you were born, you begin headed towards that end. I heard a sermon preached one time where the preacher talked about how each one of us has an expiration date. He talked about how we have cartons of milk at home and they will have written upon them the expiration date, the day that they are no longer good and viable for us. Now, you won't look anywhere upon me. You won't find it stamped on the bottom of my foot somewhere, my date of expiration, but I want you to know I have an expiration date. And you do too. So the question is, what happens then? What happens when we die? 
There have been many who have wrestled with this question and they have drawn to their own conclusions concerning death that at at the end of life that that is just it, that that there is nothing that happens, that you merely are buried, you merely uh, go back to the dust of the earth or, or those sorts of things. They would just draw to themselves some fitting conclusion that this life is all there is. But God has proposed something far better. And He's not merely proposed it as an idea that you should adopt, but what He has done is He has set in course the nature that each of us is an eternal being. You have a soul, and that soul will live on for the rest of eternity. And I want you to know that eternity has no end. It is just that. It is eternal. It goes and it goes. If you were to have a timeline that went out into the distance, you would see that it just kept going. So is the nature of eternity. Isn't that incredible? Just to consider for a moment that you today, who have breath in your lungs, you're alive and you're a living soul, and that soul will live on forever. This body will decay, it will die, it will return to the dust of the earth, but your soul will live on. So what happens when we die? Read with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 as we wrestle with this question. Solomon has spent the 8th chapter and he's been exploring the limits of man's power and knowledge he says in the 8th verse of chapter 8, actually says, There is no man that hath power of his spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. None of us has power over death. He said in verse 17 of chapter 8, before going into chapter 9, he said, Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. There is a constraint on us as humans. We lack power, we lack knowledge, we have no power over death, we have no way to know the limitless knowledge of God, and so we find ourselves to even deal with these questions. What happens to us at the end? Read with me as we enter into chapter 9, verse 1. He says, For all this I considered in my heart even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked and to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know 
that they shall die. But the dead know not anything, neither have there any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. And we'll stop right there in those six verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The wise man Solomon is writing. He's considered these things that we mentioned in chapter 8. And as he's considered these things, he's come to know that all of us are in the hand of God. Right now, your life is in the hand of God. Didn't you hear what he said? He said that the righteous and the wise in their works are in the hand of God. Now to me, that has tasted that the Lord is righteous, who has come to know Jesus Christ, whose righteousness has been imputed to me, to me to be found in the hand of God is a wonderful thing. It is assuring to me to know no matter what it is that I would go through in life that God is holding me in His hands. We teach our children to sing those songs, don't we? That He's got the whole world in His hands. It is to us reassuring and satisfying and and, and helpful to know that God has us in His hands. God's got it. He takes care of those that are His. But didn't you read the rest? He said, all things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, to him that sacrifices, to him that sacrifices not, to the good, to the sinner, to he that sweareth, and to he that that fears an oath. God is God over all. You are not somehow escaped or, or removed from his purview. I preached not too long ago that God sees you. You're underneath the watchful eye of God. Whether you are saved or you are lost, whether you're a sinner, whether it is that you've come to know Jesus Christ in salvation, whether you find yourself to just be full of loneliness and depression, whether it is that you find yourself to be the life of the party, you are in the sight of God. He sees you, He knows you, and He holds your life in His hands. He knows your comings, and He knows your goings. He knows the things that will be in front of us tomorrow. And He knows what lies in store for us the day after that too. He does not have the limits of our knowledge. He does not have the limits of our power. But he has all these things underneath his watchful eye. He says, this is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. There is one event that waits for us all. Solomon said something about the nature of people. Jesus affirmed it. The New Testament writers affirm it in other places. In fact, we see that Solomon himself affirms it in other places still. That there is none that is good. That man's heart by nature within this carnal body has a tendency towards those things that are evil. It has a tendency towards those things that are sinful. 
We have a natural attraction to us in the flesh for those things that are not becoming, for those things that are not full of life, but instead those things that would be known as death. Listen to what Paul said about it in the book of Romans. He said, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and feast. Life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Carnally, here in this flesh, we have this tendency towards those things that are characterized by death and not by life. By those things that would not be found to bring peace, but instead those things that be found to be to bring upon our lives destruction. Says so. Then they that are in the flesh can not please God. Friendship of the world is enmity with God. We find a calling upon our lives to be removed from the world and to be joined unto Christ. Now, there's something to be said about this, because I recognize that as I've spoke today, that you would consider the things that I've spoken, and you would say, well, Derek, that's just an awfully depressing message. You'll go home, and somebody will ask you, well, how is the service? Somebody will ask you, what did the preacher preach about? And you'll say, well, he told me that I'm going to die. And that's not a good way to win friends and influence people, is it? To tell them that they're going to die. Paul said something to the Corinthians as he was remarking upon the reality of Christ's resurrection. And he said that if it's only in this life that we have hope, then we are of all men most miserable. He said if our hope is only in this life, then we above anybody else should be pitied. Solomon says that for the living there is hope. Isn't that wonderful? There is hope while you live. Why? Because while it is appointed unto man once to die, the Hebrew writer went on and said, after this, the judgment. We're eternal souls. Our souls will live on. And I want you to know the location of our souls, this only comes down to one of two where it can enter in. Jesus one time taught a parable. And He taught a parable about the wheat and the tares. And He was talking about that seed that would bring up and be good. It would be wheat to be harvested. And that seed that would be brought up to be bad. It would be be tares. It would be weeds as we would think of it today. And He went on and He explained this parable. And He spoke of the parable concerning that which was good. That would be taken up. And it would be that which was good to be taken there by the reapers. But to those weeds, to those tares that would be reaped, that they would be bound up and they'd be cast into the fire. Jesus said specifically concerning this fire, He said there that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus taught elsewhere. He told about Lazarus and, and about the rich man and about how Lazarus died and how he was carried by the angels up into Abraham's bosom and how it was that this rich man died and that he lifted his eyes in hell and how he could see there that poor man Lazarus who had once had been a beggar but now was in Abraham's bosom. He was in heaven and he cried out, this rich man did, asking that there might just be one that could come to, to bring a drop of water to cool his tongue. What did Lazarus say? He said, there is a great gulf that is fixed between us such that I cannot come to you and you cannot come to me. The rich man considered these things and he said, well then go and tell my family. Go and tell them to to warn them to avoid this awful place. He was asking that he might be able to go and do those things, that there might be one that would come from the dead to go and tell them. What was the response? That they have the prophets. That they have Moses. They can hear them and believe. And if they won't believe them, they won't believe even one that would come from the dead. The point that I'm trying to make to you today is that there is a hell What happens at the end is a judgment. And those that are found to be wicked, as Jesus said, as He explained that parable of the wheat and of the tares, those that are found to be wicked, those in whom all their life, all that they knew was iniquity, those in whom the blood of Jesus has not been applied, those in whom there's been a no atonement that has covered them, those who will be looked at by, at the great day of judgment, they'll be looked at and said, depart from me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. So there is a hell. Praise be to God, there is a place that is far better. Scripture tells us quite a bit about it. We can go and we can read of the splendors that awaits for the children of God in heaven, about streets that are paved with gold, about the walls of the city, about the size of the city that John saw coming down. We can read about the remarkable things of this place and how beautiful and how precious it must be considering that sin has never entered into it. I mean, think about that for a moment. We see that God uses gold to pave His streets. How beautiful heaven must be if God is using gold to pave the streets. (laughs) Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He said, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. He said, but I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. And that, that is the splendor of heaven. Yes, the streets of gold will be wonderful. Yes, gates of pearl will be incredible to cast our eyes upon. Yes, the walls will be beautiful for us to see. But I want you to know, if that's all heaven was about, if all heaven was about, as I've heard people have all sorts of ideas about what they'll do there, they'll go into 
do this. They'll go and do that. Listen, if all of eternity was about, was about streets of gold and about beautiful walls and pearly gates and the things we think we would do there, we would lose our minds. Why? Because we're going to be there for all eternity. But the beauty, the splendor of heaven is that Jesus is the light of that city. That He is at the center of it. The splendor of heaven is that there we will be with Jesus forever. (laughs) Forever. And we will praise Him and we will worship Him and we will glorify the Son of God while the ages go on forever and forever. We will learn of the unsearchable knowledge and riches of God. We will behold our Savior. We will behold the Creator of the universe. Heaven will be glorious. And so you see, at the end there is a judgment. And at that judgment, there will be those that will be cast into the lake of fire and hell. And there will be those that are invited to enter in as good and faithful servants. Which group will you be a part of? And which number will you find yourself? For 25 years, I have known with assurance which group I will be a part of. (laughs) I will stand before God and He will see me and He will know me and before Him all of my life has been revealed and He knows it. He knows my faults, my weaknesses, my sins, my my moments of, of goodness. He knows all about me. And He would be right if He was to look to me and cast me into hell, but He won't. And you know why He won't? It has nothing to do with me. But instead, what He will see when He looks upon me is the blood of His only begotten Son. And there, He will see the righteousness of His Son that's been imputed to me. And although my life is characterized by unrighteousness, He will look upon me with pardon because of the work of His Son. I'm going to heaven on the work of another. I want you to go too. I want you to know that work that I am dependent upon for heaven, you can depend upon it too. And Solomon said, for to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. There is hope for you while you are here and while you are alive. He compared it. He said, a living dog is better than a dead lion. You might think yourself to be the very least in the world, the weakest, that there is nothing about you that is of any value or of any worth to anybody. Oh, but today there's hope for you. There's hope. And that hope, it's found in the Son of God. That hope, it is found in Jesus. And He's available to you. He's not hid Himself from any one of us. But I want you to know today, He's knowable. You can know Him. You can come to Him and find peace and find joy, find rest 
for all that heavy load that you found yourself to be encumbered by. He said, for the living know that they shall die. There is an advantage to us today when we ask ourselves this question, what happens to us when we die? And the advantage that we have is that we know at once we will learn the answer to that question finally. And, and, and without being able to, to argue about it, we will have certainty what happens to us. The question is, are you prepared for that day? So that the dead don't know anything. You don't have any more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hatred, their envy, it's all perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. At the funeral that I preached on Friday night, as I saw the hearts of that family that were so broken, and as my tears were shed, for them. What struck me is how final death is. It's final. The reality of death is it's a separation. That's what Adam found out when he took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God had told him, the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. And we know how it was the serpent tempted Eve and said, you'll not surely die. But what Adam and Eve found when they took of the knowledge of good and evil, when they transgressed the law and command of God there in the garden, they found that they were separated from God. So are are our loved ones that have died. They are separated from us. Death is a final separation. It has a finality to it for this life that we would not be able to somehow have that same relationship with them that we did while they were living. I hate that. Oh, I hate that people die. Don't you? I assume I'm not the only one. But Solomon said something about that. He said the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. We would ask ourselves to, to consider that and we would say, how can that be so? We hold little babies in our arms and we ooh and we go over them and we look at them and we, and we make baby noises that, that we make in no other circumstance or situation than that one. And we hold these little innocent babies in our arms and we're just wowed by them. We count their toes, we count their fingers and we find them to be the cutest things that have ever existed. We find these things to be celebrated when these babies are born. Yet Solomon says that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. How can that be so? But if we consider a life that is lived, and as we would consider the life that is lived, as we would remember it, as we would honor it, we would have known all that there was to know about that life that has been lived. If you're like me, sometimes you look into your children's eyes. I have small children, they're growing older. But I look into the eyes of my 8-year-old, I look into the eyes of my 5-year-old, I look into the eyes of my 2-year-old, and I wonder, what will these eyes see? What does the world has have in store for them? 
And the best we can find is we know that the world it just seems to grow colder and darker each day. And so I worry about them and I fear for them. But then we would consider the death of our loved ones. <laughs> they run the race. <laughs> they finished their fight. And now they have taken a flight from this life unto the next. Surely, that is far better. <laughs> what did Paul consider about death? He knew that his time was coming to, the, to an end and he wrote to the Philippians and he said this, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I'm fine either way. He said, I would like to stay here longer if I can. He said, I've got work to do. I want to tell more people about Jesus. He said, but listen, if I leave tomorrow, <laughs> I'll be in the presence of God. He said, it's far better for me to be with Christ. Yet he had a desire to even still stay in the world that he might be able to work for the Lord. So what about all these things? What, what do we do then? What do we have to say? I want to encourage you today to ask and to deal with this question for yourself. What happens to you when you die? <coughs> what is at the end? <coughs> Have you ever watched a movie with someone and they've already seen it? And as you're watching it, they keep telling you about what's about to happen. I don't like watching movies with those people. But as we deal with this question, what's at the end? I want you to know that God has told us <clears throat> what's at the end. And He's given you an opportunity for hope while you yet live. And you would do well today to not ignore what He has said, to not ignore this opportunity of hope that He has given you, but instead that you would consider what the Lord has done, providing you to this knowledge and awareness that there is coming for all of us this end. That there is coming for all of us that day that will be recorded against history when we will live this life, leave this life and start life eternal. I ask you, where will you be found after this life is over? And to the saints of God, I want to offer you this encouragement. Because some of you would say, well, you know, Derek, I, I believe that in the Lord. I find all these things to be true. I, th I think it's, it's good. And, and you know, it, it's helpful to me. It's encouraging to me. But listen, I want you to know this hope that we've talked about, it's not a hope that you would find as though you would somehow be able to, to mentally comprehend and say, yes, I believe that. That is good. That is true. And I hope that you say those things. But listen to me. That hope, it's not found in some mental intelligence 
concerning the scriptural records of what's going to happen to us when we die. That hope that is found, it is through Christ. And it is by coming to Him and by knowing Him. And so today, if you are longing, if you are seeking after hope, I invite you to Him. You can know Christ. You can know this hope. Scripture tells us that Jesus, when, when or John the Baptist, when He came preaching, He said to repent. Jesus came preaching to repent and believe the Gospel. Today, if you desire hope, repent of this life and trust Christ. And you can trust His hope. Paul said at one point concerning the hope that he had, he said, I know in whom I believe. And he said, and I am persuaded that the one in whom I believed is able to keep this life that I have committed unto him, to keep this hope that I've committed unto him, that he's able to keep it against that day. Paul told the Romans this, and I'll close. He said, nay, he said, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he said this, he said, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The splendor of this hope, the splendor of the hope that we have for the end. The splendor of hope that we have as the answer to this question of what happens to us at the end is that death cannot separate us from this hope. You see, today, I have faith in Christ Jesus. And that trust, that faith that I placed in Him as a nine-year-old boy, I, if I, have, I trust it to be sufficient for me when I die. But I want you to know that moment when I enter into heaven, I will no longer have necessity of that faith. Why? Because that faith will be replaced by my sight. And I will see Jesus face to face. This hope that I'm clinging to here, Death will not separate me from it, but instead, death will take me to it. For the one in whom I, ho- I hope now, I will live with for eternity. I thank you for listening to me.